Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Salam, everybody. Welcome back to Two Cents. Um, if you haven't heard one of our episodes before, it works like this. Each of us bring two subjects that we believe are overrated and two that we believe are underrated to the virtual roundtable where we unpack and debate and hash them out and leave for our listeners to do the same. So let's get started. Um, who wants to go first? So I'm going to go for a really nice uh, warm one. Um, I was reading an interview in a magazine. You know the magazine where the last page it's the always... Magazine. What magazine? magazine? Magazine. I was reading a magazine. Yes, it was a yes. You know the free one you get on the tube? And the last page I love, I absolutely love, um, is like an interview with different people in London. Obviously, after a while, I realised, oh, all the people are white and they just do white things. But more on that on another day. But anyway, this week it was Louis Theroux. Um, so I oh, look at his interview and they always ask and the thing is the interview doesn't really change it's usually the same thing like what building would you take over um, what's your favourite place to go where would you recommend for a date um, uh, who would you go who would you call to spend a great night with you know loads of like cool things like that um, and one of the questions like where where do you like hanging out and he was literally like oh I like to go to and he said the name of the place and I was like that's literally like a fruit and veg shop in Halston <laughs> and it was I think it was Halston but somewhere in northwest basically and he was like yeah I like going down the weekend with my kids if we're like at a loose end you know you can find prickly pears or fonts and mangoes and he started like relaying a list of things that you can find and it sounds so exotic and like mysterious and it's like Wow, we literally go there like all the time to get our groceries. Do you know what I mean? It's like the shop you have on your road. And, and you know, sometimes we need people in the mainstream to, you know, mention something for it to suddenly be like something of, of purpose. But today I wanted to say that supermarkets are overrated. And I think, uh, hopefully, I think most people agree with this, but local food shops, um, and you, you know, even the like those weird shops that sell like buckets and mops and, your, you know, your Turkish, honestly, in this pandemic, the Turkish supermarket for me has been 108 game. And you know what? When I started seeing that they were doing an extension two months in, I was like, yes, you bring your money in and you make that work. <laughs> yeah, it was sick. So, and I think this is stemmed really from lockdown, but we bought, barely bought sliced, we didn't buy sliced bread as much as we used to. And I developed this habit where early in the morning, I felt like a proper old lady when I was doing this. I don't know why, but I developed this habit of like every morning I'd go for like a little walk in the ends. And it's nice because you see like all of the lorries, the trucks coming up, loading up the little Turkish shops, the Polish shops. And every morning, like one of the Turkish shops down my road, they would load up with fresh baked, freshly baked bread. So like baguettes, the big, you know, those big naans that you have and then the big, 
um, like round breads that you, I'm sure there's like a better name. I'm so uncultured, but the big round breads and the big square breads and the big baguettes. All oh, of they're so soft. They're so soft and lovely and warm. But literally, and freshly baked pastry. What's the one with this? I really am showing my lack of knowledge here. But you know the one with the spinach? I always used to bring it into the office, basically. All of that hot and... Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Yeah, I literally go that now i literally just go into the supermarket for things like organic eggs and milk right because that my local doesn't do that but one thing i have noticed if you ask bossman at the shop to stock something for you bossman will get in for you like bossman will because i will always ask about these little yellow figs that they have and i'm like oh you know you don't have them today <laughs> like, don't worry tomorrow i'll have it for you um that's the other shop obviously it's not the turkish man it's the indian shop uh, <laughs> And I think that's one really like cool thing that I, I realized as well. We talk so much about affecting change. And I think when you shop locally, that's one thing you can do with these local shops. You can ask boss man for this, that, the other, like, actually I should be asking, can you get like a um, organic milk? Cause I'm sure there'd be supply for that. And then I'd end up doing all of my groceries there. Um, and there's like a fruit and veg shop at the top of my dad's road where they stock papaya and I know my and they don't stock that many papayas but I know one of those main customers is my dad because my dad buys a papaya every week and I think there's something around shopping local and having an impact there like the more of the things that you, and we saw it in lockdown like you said now there was extension and you saw a lot of these Turkish shops like extending into like little butchers at the back little bakeries at the back so yeah, I just want to say, like, you know, keep shopping at those places, even though the supermarkets have opened up. I literally went to Asda that the other day, guys, and I walked out. Yeah. And that's not like me, but I was like, oh, I can get that at my, at my local. I can get that at my local. That's overpriced. That's in too much packaging. Mm. So big up to the Polish man, the Turkish man, the Indian man, the everybody man, the all and women um obviously big up to everybody that owns these places <laughs> you know, you know the best two cents you've ever done when i go to Aldamashki, it's like it's like i'm going home yes, yes. 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 it is it's like you're going home you know what i have to admit guys that i have just last week started online shopping convenience before i was that person who'd go to the indian man get my coriander and all of that go to the turkish man get my figs and all of that 
go to the fishmonger. We going to no. This is this is my high road. Go to Tarek Halal Butchers. Get my meat from there. And I used to do that. And honestly, I got a couple of weekends ago. I and and I've I've lo- and I feel like I've inherited that from my parents. They go every pre-pandemic every Saturday they'd go to the Indian man to the literally to the Indian man to the Turkish man to the fishmonger and all of that and then a couple of weekends ago I was so tired I had no food in the fridge I had nothing to cook I believe I I didn't I didn't want to get a takeaway Mm. and I opened up supermarket.com I won't say which supermarket and I did the online shop and it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing to have that time. It was amazing that I didn't have to go out. But I do not get the selection that you do from the Turkish man and the Indian you know man and all saying? of that. I've noticed when I shop at supermarkets, I have more waste. Yeah, oh, so much more waste. So much more waste. It's convenient because they do things in packs, right? Yeah. Like, and the thing is, like, I can go to like the the local shop here and buy one of I an item. Yeah. I mean, but I've noticed a lot of waste, and I'm just wondering how much money we actually pour down the drain Mm. buying these bigger packs of things. Mm. Whereas at the local shops, you can literally buy like one one. Yeah, like they always laugh at me because like. I'll buy, like, say if I need green chilies, yeah, I'll literally put four green chilies in a plastic bag. And every time they're like, I'll just take it. Like, you don't need to because it's not worth it. Whereas, like, in the supermarket, you have to buy yeah. those 20 green. And I'm I'm not going to get through them all, you know? Yeah, I went to the shop the other day and I, I bought one Scotch bonnet and I pulled yeah. it out of her and he was like, it's okay. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the same. So... I I really appreciate online supermarket shopping, I have to say. However, I still go to the high road to be able to buy this like, you know, my tropical fruits and the, Yeah, and to buy to buy the stuff that you, you don't get in supermarkets and the the Turkish man did say, Oh, long time. Oh and you know one thing, you know the <laughs> bed shop we went to now, around the corner. When I walked in there, I literally there was just bare nostalgia. Yeah. And it, it's like going back home. It, it, it's like it's like they're frozen in a time warp. Yeah. It's, it's like, like they, it literally it's like they've they've frozen in time. And I think that's why it feels like going back home because uh, and you know what it feels like when you walk into these shops, you're like, You're repping me. Yeah. Because you've got the fruit, you've got the yeah. brand one, you've got everything that is a salute to my culture. Yeah. Or, heritage or whatever it is when you go into big supermarket you're like oh world aisle (laughs) you know what world food out is such a car bruv the number of countries they try and get into that world food out is actually offensive and you know what you can tell if someone lives in the ends and they they have like uh, diversity in their ends when you're like oh i'm like what not even a halal aisle and then you've got some supermarkets where they have a whole halal butcher counter. Yeah, 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 yeah. A place in the ends. Um, but yeah, big up to like all of the local. I've, I'm in a different area at the moment, and there's a it's a Tamil shop opposite me. I say Tamil, Tamil owned, and a lot of this stuff is like like you know thosa idli mixes stuff like that, like loads of That's stuff. Some curry leaf. Yeah, bear curry leaf. They've got the little fridge at the back, isn't it? I always think those fridges would be such a good um, cover up. 
for like a murder a murder um correct they look they look like something out of a murder scene isn't it? <laughs> where I like you take them to the back like, i look back at the door and i'm like <laughs> okay it's me now my first one is i was inspired by this article that sarah or sarah Khurshid did um on amalia.com and also the book that i referenced Every single chance I get by Elisa Vitti. And the article is called Coffee in Islamic Society in the 15th Century, the Beverage Used to Enhance Religious Worship. I love um, that article. It's a really good article. It actually always gets a lot of engagement on our Instagram. So if you guys want to check it out, it's over on Amalia Identity. Um, but you can also find it on the homepage. Um, and she gives a really good like digest of um, the history of coffee. And if anyone doesn't know already um coffee originates from the islamic world um and she talks about the context in which it was used and the context in which it is used and um consumed today and she also refers to a lot of the conversations people have around um coffee consumption during ramadan because obviously it's something that we at the same time have to abstain from but also what like use quite frequently in order to stay up for ibadah during the night, during the early hours, um, because it helps us stay awake. So um, I was like happy to see that other people also having this um, discussion, just because it shines a light on how much we consume on a daily basis. And I feel like coffee, <laughs> it's one of those things where you realize that that everything's deep it's just one of those triggers that is that conversation that everything's deep because i if we reflect on some of our everyday conversations how much coffee comes up in terms of like our finances or like um how much we are situated in coffee shops when we don't need to be and i think that it's one of those things that have been over ritualized in our um society at least for me anyway and so just having that on one part of the discourse and then what Elisa Vitti has to say in the other part, which is that um, in her research on uh, coffee and menstrual health and the hormonal health of women, that it's actually um, really, really not quite good for you. Uh, it, they, she says that women of a reproductive age shouldn't be consuming coffee at all. And if you do, there is a there are specific guidelines for it. Um, I think as somebody who's been an avid coffee coffee drinker since the age of like 14 or 15 and i don't think i even realized that's so that young so young but you know why because there was, was a it starbucks place. culture no it was it was like instant coffee culture in my home because uh, i think it's one of those things again like lending itself to that oh, coffee is actually deep for so many reasons it's that it's that it's that starter in life of like, are you becoming an adult is when you adult. find Adult, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that walking down yourself. the road with yeah. your coffee to go to work. Yeah, for me, it was like, like making the kettle my friend for the first time. I think like I was in high school, year eight, and then I, I mean, my, my siblings were 10 years older than me. So they were in and out of college and uni for the better part of um, me being in high school, at least having some kind of memory of anything. And I thought, oh, okay, like the way that I'm going to keep up is like making instant coffee at home. Um, they'll want to talk to me more. I'll be considered more adult and serious and functional because it's supposed to do all of these other things as well. Um, and yeah, I feel like 
I didn't, because I don't drink two to three cups of coffee a day, like I'm not an addict. <laughs> I never classed myself as a, a coffee drinker or something that would affect my health in the long term, but I have realized how much of a terrible effect it has had on my energy levels over the years. And now I feel like, you know, in light of what um, Elisa Vitti's research says as well on coffee and, and women, I feel like it will have contributed to um, some degree of hormone imbalance. So I firmly stand by my overrated this week i believe coffee is overrated i feel like what you're saying is the over ritualization of coffee yeah definitely. so it's so and i i totally like can understand because i feel like you know when i would go to meetings and stuff i'd feel like a pressure to order a coffee yeah. because <laughs> yeah and then i'm like looking at the menu i'm like what's a flat white what's the americano what's <laughs> that and then the mocha felt like the the upgrade from hot chocolate to (laughs) not really coffee like it's not really coffee it's just hot chocolate with a bit of coffee and then I and and then I was and I'd always like at first be like okay I'm not gonna order coffee it's just not what I do well if I order coffee I literally have like five sugars in it yeah 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 exactly and and it was it was really weird because it definitely was like Oh, if I don't order coffee, am I going to be seen as a little kid because yeah. I didn't have a coffee? No, yeah. I've been to like those weird like coffee morning business things where only coffee is an order on offer. Yeah, and it's in that like canister thing, right? And then I remember even one of the offices we were in and they'd ha- they had like a coffee maker yeah. and it just looked so daunting because yeah. you're like... you're basically there as like this barista yeah and it's just so it's so daunting and it's also so loud so everyone can hear that you're making this coffee really badly (laughs) do you know what it is it coffee has been there at the like precipice of every major like status pivotal thing about like from child to teenager to adult to like mediocre effort kind of worker to hard worker hard worker highly functional um to sophisticate like some something that was taking into being sophisticated and i just wonder what it is about coffee that makes it such a like a thing in our like do you know i bet there is like a deep story because i was reading about fish fingers right Um, you know what I mean this is a bit this of a, is a podcast this is a bit of a pocket pocket story yeah so I was reading about fish fingers and like how they became like a staple in the home um you know me like to vary my reading and actually what was happening is when um fish sorry fish um what are they called if they're fish? when fishes sorry sorry that was really dense of me when fishes were catching the fish and putting it together what was happening is it was getting frozen into blocks of fish right and then that would obviously devalue the price because then it was like long it, it was basically sold to fishmongers and stuff as ice blocks of fish so it's like this literally this block of fish and no one it was seen as like a cheap thing no one really wanted it blah 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 and then um what they did i'm just gonna pull it up because i want to make sure that i get this right because i'm so fascinated this you know what i love watching machine stuff like this it's like that program um, how this works or like yeah yeah yeah. how it's made i I don't want to say documentary but there was one about how digestive biscuits are made 
Did anyone ever used to watch um, um, that like that childhood program with um, that woman with a spotty aeroplane and Pippin the dog? And it was basically like a child's version of how it's made. Yeah, I did. That was one of my favourite TV shows ever. Got it, guys. Right. Yeah, yeah, much fish fingers. Yeah, so this is all about how basically fish fingers weren't a thing, but marketing made them a thing. Um, and so in America, they're not called fish fingers; they're called fish sticks. And so what was happening like is that. so, <laughs> um, and essentially, fish was always like the least consumed in American consumption, right? And um, fish sticks or fish fingers there that much even. So the reason why this article came out because in the pandemic the number of people buying fish fingers has like really risen. <laughs> so, um, so what fishermen would do is they would freeze their catches in massive blocks like you were seeing in those videos, Shalil. And then they hours later they tried to like get the fish to come apart, but obviously they would spin the fish. Yeah, yeah and, they, and they wouldn't come apart. They would go into chunks, and so it was really hard to sell those chunks. Um, and so there was like this widespread quote unquote, and the quote says prejudice against cold storage fish, especially amongst home cooks. So basically consumers were like, nah, you're not going to sell that to us. Yeah. Um, so what the industry did was they tried to mince up the frozen blocks and then repack them into fish bricks. Right. Um, and the hope was that the consumers would find these fish bricks like smaller, cookable, um, and but they never caught on. Like fish bricks didn't happen. They didn't. They they just they didn't work. Um, and so it was really like failing to achieve popularity. But then the World War Two came, right? And this actually is why they started becoming popular because in the wartime effort, what was happening is obviously there was a focus on feeding soldiers. On the home front and there was a, a supply shortage chain of and and chicken beef and pork had to all become rationed right um but there wasn't these restrictions on fish because fish also could be frozen and last longer and all of those things so fish became the protein that was widely available um and what the seafood distributors wanted so the brands wanted a new signature product to be able to be, be like become part and parcel of American households and it had to be simple inoffensive and universally palatable so that even the nation's fish skeptics would embrace it because remember fish wasn't ranking high and so they tried again they were like okay we've got this frozen block of fish what can we do and so what they did is they were like Americans understand the concept of hot dogs and they like hot dogs so we're going to sell the aquatic hot dog. <laughs> no. And this actually, this is where the term... Aquatic is. hot dog, that doesn't even sound appetizing. And so they were like, okay, we're going to sell aquatic, This we're going to take the hot dog concept and make, make that but for fish. So you had Birdseye, Gorton's and Fulham Brothers as the like companies that were trying to go to market with these fish sticks. Um and then really it was this company called Gorton's that turned this product into mainstream um and the, and their advertising director like really pushed it pushed it forward in front of consumers and the way they did it was they targeted home chefs with the claim that fish sticks represented a well-deserved break for the harried housewife and so for the housewife, it was like, oh, yeah, I can like cook something up and it's easy. And the appeal of the dish was that it was easy to just heat up. Um, <coughs> and 
Sorry, why was I telling the story? Coffee, <laughs> coffee. Coffee, yeah. There's always something deeper, right? So this is how <laughs> fish became a thing. And then it just ended up becoming like this wildly popular item. Um, and also there was like these sub battles, which is like dubbed the battle of the proteins, where it was like beef and chicken against these fish fingers because they were doing so well. So it was written on something called the hustle. And it was, it came, I, I subscribed to them and it came into my inbox and I was just so fascinated mm. by, like, I, I love, you know, like hearing about how something mm. like became. Um, and then also what happened is like food magazines started doing like recipes with fish sticks, like they do fish sticks with spaghetti and fish stick burger. And then what they also did is they linked they they rebranded fish sticks as post-war modernity so it was like oh this isn't a ration thing this is a modernity thing the fish sticks were the face of the future yeah and it was seen as like this modern luxury right (sighs) and so all the so it went from this clump of frozen fish but then the marketing world really was like if we make it like a hot dog then everyone's gonna love it um, hot dog, you know. And then also there's another subplot where like the federal government steps in um, and basically bankrolled the seafood industry's new product because they were like, this is going to do really well. <laughs> and then the government program also stepped in because they started including it in lunch programs and school lunch programs. Um, so it literally was like the government backed these fish sticks and they're like, this is going to happen. Um, and school lunches meant guaranteed sales for the seafood industry. So for the government, they're bankrolling this item. And then actually, if they distribute them in schools, they're guaranteeing that this item will be bought. So, yeah, and there was like whole lobby groups to put fish sticks on the menu in schools. So literally talk about government food, but there's like government aquatic hot dogs. <laughs> so yeah every every food like item and things we have normally does have like quite a um quite a story um so my second overrated is big ideas and again this is going to be a really brief one because it's just a reflection i was having um in a conversation with a friend and um we were just talking about how like especially in the context of pivoting and knowing what you want out of life we often settle on these or get stuck on um trying to have big ideas and trying to inspire big ideas in yourself and ignoring the very small um successful crucial roles um uh, small ideas can have in society so right down from everything to business um to habits and to hobbies and um that lends itself to a conversation. I don't know how many times I've used that phrase today. Lend itself to a conversation around Ihsan and doing something really well. Um, it was just a reflection I was having. And I think that if you are stuck on uh, wanting to produce something, if you feel like there is something within you that you want to create, um, I think it scaling that thing down from having having to produce something big or dominate a certain market or find the gap in a, in a market or um, have like such a huge legacy and instead doing something because the things that I gravitate towards the most anyway like the really interesting stories are ones where somebody has like captured something small and nurtured it into something really big as opposed to starting from top down so yeah that's just one insight I wanted to lend 
to this conversation and I will not say lend to it ever again. I think um, that that is um, part and parcel of debunking um, the ideals of what success is meant to be or what success has been advertised to us um, to look like. Like, you know, especially in the startup world, isn't it now, where there's this like build a company, exit for this much, uh, raise this much capital, etc. But, you know, I've been thinking a lot about like legacy and like the legacy that we live. And if you look at the deaths that have happened, like in the, in the public eye, for example, over the last, even just through COVID and even maybe personal deaths, what is it that you remember about those people? Mm -hmm. And it's not always like their big achievements. Like you don't just constantly hear, and they built this and they did that and they, revolutionize obviously sometimes you do but in terms of like the people in our lives like often you hear they were kind Mm -hmm. or and we did this on the other podcast or they were always on time or they were always um generous or they always gave you something when you you met with them or there was always a meal on offer like it is definitely those smaller things and in terms of like living your legacy in terms and how you live for Allah Mm -hmm. and yeah I think there is always obviously the big idea and and pursuing bigger things but those big ideas are made up of small steps and smaller kind of um things so I think more more of this conversation is around like debunking what success looks like Um, so in today's episode of Underrated with Nafisa Bakar, um, I've actually got two books that I want to give a shout out. I'm just going to get the other one. Um, so it's going to be quite short, but these books have been fantastic. The first one, do a bit of a show and tell, is called Think Like a White Man. Um, (laughs) And it is phenomenal. Like, I was both, um, what's the word for when you find something funny? Amused? Yeah, I was both amused, horrified, terrified of what I read. Um, Because I've, and the author is black and he does say it's con- about conquering the world while black but I do think if you're from a minority group you will really resonate with the book um, because ultimately it's about existing in white structures and it's one of those books where you feel so seen he talks about those microaggressions he talks about weird office culture you know stuff like how important gossip is house what small talk is like all these things that we know but we've probably not always put a name to it Mm. or we felt like we're maybe overthinking um and he writes it as satire in the tone that it speaks and so it's just like your your jaw is like wide open with what he says but at the same time it's so close to reality Um, except for us yeah and then he also every now and then does like a list of quick do's and don'ts um so i'm gonna read with some of the do's so and again like you have to remember that this is satire in his tone but so close to reality he says um don't wear a bow tie and a black suit if you're a man don't wear an all-white nun-like habit if you're a woman it goes without saying that a niqab hijab burqa or durag 
are absolutely out of the question. Anything that makes you look like a member of the Nation of Islam or even worse, a conventional non-prison non Islam Muslim is career suicide. And so he, he like says these things that in reality yeah. are very close to like how people see us and the identities we're wrapped in. Um, where she, you know, when people say, oh, I didn't get that promotion. I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Um, wear cheap non-branded glasses to interviews, even if you don't need them. It softens your image and indicates a vulnerability as opposed to blackness. Plus no one who ever wore glasses ever did anything black. Um, another one is do perfect your um, diction sound as white and polished as possible. This is critical sounding remotely like a 21st century. And then he says, do order cheese for dessert when at a business meal. Um, and don't think that cheesecake qualifies as a type of cheese. Um, that is literally my favourite, the cheese bit. Because yeah. it's, it's true. It's you know, like, me and my friends talk about how like our first entry into understanding cheeses was when I went to university and met white people who loved <laughs> off cheese. <laughs> yeah. And even now, I'm like, I would never order a cheese board in a restaurant because I know half of those cheeses, I'd be like, this stinks, you know? <laughs> like, I, I have not got to that level where I can enjoy a cheese board and, like, be able to name all the cheeses. Yeah, I literally read it all in one sitting, like, because the tone is just so easy oh, to read. It's yeah. so really easy to read. It's really easy to read. I'd really, really recommend it. I have bloody loved it um so yeah and i got it from the library which was fantastic but i think i'm actually going to buy it because i want to support and i want that book on my shelf um the second book in today's review is called towards sacred activism um and i actually read that oh, one so it's a very thin book um and it's meant to act like a sort of framework and a guide and it goes through like what is justice for bidding evil you can see some of my underlying bits there so in the end chapter there's a chapter called spiritual self-care for sacred activism and i feel like a lot of the conversation we've had on the podcast is about trying to put a lens that takes into account our faith in the conversation that we have and self-care I feel like especially is important because sometimes the conversations can sometimes be quite self-indulgent and not take into account um, Allah and our faith um, so it goes through like tangible tips um, and there are let me see yeah there's 12 tips that um he gives and they range from you know performing your daily prayers to keeping company with upright people within the faith um to having a spiritual guide or a mentor uh getting a daily litany to read and reflect upon especially at the times of fajr and maghrib um attempting to fast at least three three days out of the ex out of every islamic month um so like the white days which is the 13th 14th and 15th days of every islamic month um and then striving to be involved in some sort of structured acquisition of islamic knowledge uh calling upon allah and sending blessings upon the prophet regularly uh then there's taking periodic retreats just as the prophet Muhammad went on retreats to be removed from people 
prior to the night of decree and it says if you don't have the luxury of taking a retreat in seclusion then just take time to detoxify from smartphones and social media so i guess it's more like no notice what the noise is in your life and how do you take yourself away from that noise so it doesn't necessarily have to be a, i'm gonna go into a field yeah, um to romanticize that whole like you know going away or whatever it is or having alone time because um the village auntie uh, angelica she's often shared on her platform that i think on a sunday for example she does like a talking fast like her family you know i think it's longer than that she details on her page but um just to, to have that moment where she doesn't talk mm. to anyone she's just conserving her energy and and i think you can do things like that in your day and or week yeah so he also talks about staying away from television facebook twitter whatsapp groups and all of that as part of like that um another one is resist the urge to respond to every controversial event that comes on your radar especially when feeling in range um another one is remind yourself that the outcomes of matters are with allah uh number 11 is avoid seeking notoriety fame can be like a drug in fact the love of fame is considered a spiritual disease by scholars such as al-ghazali and then 12 and 12 is remember death um and he he like goes into he has like a half page paragraph dedicated to each one um but what i would say is like i've never seen myself as like i would never call myself an activist but what his whole thing is is as muslims we are meant to enjoin in good forbid evil yeah. and that is one of something that we should all be engaging with so we are all according to that definition engaging with that sort of sacred activism yeah. and I, so i would i would really recommend it um to basically give you some sort of structure and framework to these conversations about justice and things like that um i haven't read it all yet so that last chapter really um drew me in and i'm only on like the first chapter which is about what is justice but from what i've read so far i i think it's it's like a book that has needed to to be around because i think sometimes these conversations can feel um like they they don't have much structure in them mm. and i guess he's bringing structure to the conversation and that is my underrated sometimes there's this like blueprint of what activism should like like you're going on a march you're wearing this mm. t-shirt you're buying from that brand you're doing but yeah it is it's 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 part and parcel of our existence as muslims like I remember one of my friends, like, we were walking down the road and she moved this glass out the way. Like, mm -hmm. she just kicked it, like, out the way. Um, and she was with her kid and she said, oh, you know, we, if, we, if a Muslim sees anything that will get, that be harmful to somebody else, we move it out the way. That's activism in, in, in sorts, mm -hmm. right? Enjoying and good. And, like, from, ever, uh, from that time, like, my kids have always seen things like that. Like, oh, mama, there's glass there. And they'll ask me to move out the way. And it's definitely in those tiny moments, like those those decisions that you think, should I give money to this person? Should I buy them a coffee? Should I move that glass out of the way? Should I help the person with their buggy? Like if you're just out here signing petitions and not doing your base daily civic duty when you're stepping out your door or actually into your front room with your family, then um yeah. And I think I always remember something Sheikh Babafi said of like if any part of you feels a pull to do something good like follow it and do it because you know sometimes like you might be out and about and 
you you might for example see someone who is asking for money on and their home they look like they might be homeless and they're looking for assistance and help and you know like you might be walking past and you're like oh i should but i need to get that train or oh, i can't i'm not sure if i have money and you know you start like building the story but it's like actually just stop and you know follow that that one or that need yeah mm -hmm. that nature to be like actually i'm gonna help. Don't want you to do the good deeds because and and i think that's what also keeps your heart alive of like following any time that you feel a goodness of i want to be able to assist or give help then being able to just just do that what's underrated and i think we've spoken about this a couple of times but i just wanted to share a particular article um to kind of show actually sometimes we we position some of the action that we do online as underrated and i think in recent months or even across the like the last year there's been a lot of um talk and pressure about boycotting brands that basically use uyghur labor and we've seen like the big names the zaras the h&ms um the nikes that that they are using labor from these camps and i think at times like it's felt quite um you just feel like a small not a fish joke but you feel like a small fish in a big in a big sea where you're not really making an effect it's like if i stop at shopping at h&m if i stop shopping at you know these brands is it really going to make a difference if i sign this petition is it going to make a difference and I'm not necessarily saying that this recent action is a direct effect of what we've done, but I'm sure it's an effect on something from that has come from consumers. So I'm just going to read um, a quick article and it's H&M cuts ties with Chinese supplier over Xinjiang forced labor accusations. Swedish clothing giant ends relationship with, I'm going to read it as a newsreader. Swedish clothing giant ends relationship with yarn producer who are full fashion company says it does not work with any garment factories in the region and will no longer source cotton from the region euro news stated it comes after lawyers and human rights advocates delivered a 60-page document to uk customs authorities earlier this year which contained overwhelming and credible evidence of the forced labor regime the document urged the UK government to ban the import of cotton goods produced with forced labour in China. In a statement, H&M said it was deeply concerned by reports of forced labour and discrimination of ethno-religious minorities. Why don't you just say Muslims? In the region, the company stated that it prohibits any type of forced labour in the supply chain, regardless of the country or region, and would like to take immediate action to terminate business relations if it was found to have occurred. Obviously, it has occurred. H&M also added that his, it has carried out an inquiry to ensure that workers on labour transfer programmes or employment schemes, the way they worded it as well, weren't being brought from the region to work in factories it uses in other parts of China. The statement emphasised that the brand does not work with any garment manufacturing factories located in the region, and we do not source product from the region. So... I think that's a win, personally, that a big brand like H&M has taken heed and have actually, you know, seized working in these places. And you'll hear stories, I think, across the next month as well. And I think that sometimes we have to celebrate these changes and these things that are happening because it seems so far-fetched that we can affect change and that these changes will happen. Sometimes we just think this is the motion of, like, how things will go like labor has been used but it's not okay for like 
these Uyghur Muslims are already oppressed and then for them now we're really responsible we're taking part in this and if we withdraw from this there's no direct economic benefit to have these Uyghurs in these camps you know because there was one thing about the ethnic cleansing but then to create kind of to turn them into like these economic beneficiaries like these sorry I don't know what the word is create them into an economic benefit it's just another strand to it yeah it's another strand to it and the strand that we directly impact Mm. the more we shop there the more that they use them but the more we also make noise no brand wants to be associated with something like this Mm. and I think it's a it's a step in the right direction because if H&M is going to do this I've already seen other brands beginning to withdraw Mm. so you know may may we continue to do what we can for the Uyghur Muslims I would um, really, rec- if you're like trying to navigate your way around all of these um, different companies and how um, you can create some change and being part of that change, I'd really recommend following Oso oh Ethical on Instagram and Twitter. And um, it basically documents, she's a Muslim woman who documents um basically different um exploitation of workers and corporate greed is what her bio says and she calls them out and then also has actions and she sort of gives you updates and a lot of um so when the pandemic hit and like fashion brands pulled their contracts and stuff from factories um also ethical was there like really trying to voice and trying to make sure that the voices of garment workers were centered in that um, in making sure that they were demanding payment from all these factories and stuff like that. So I would definitely, um, if you want to look further into all these conversations, head to Oso oh Ethical. This is another underrated. I don't know how I'm going to position it because we are in a panda. Are we in a panda anyway? Whatever. Anyway, what's underrated is going to people's homes for meals. She always comes with these basic ones and then really turns it in the commentary. (laughs) And she says it and you're like, really, Shalou, come on. And then she goes for it in the commentary. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So basically going to people's homes for meals and inviting people for dinner as well. And I feel like it's a bit of a forgotten custom. And I don't think that's because people don't want to be kind and don't want to invite people. But we're busy, isn't it? Like, we're busy, we're throwing meals together. But I think this goes also back to, I think me and Sarah, we were having a conversation on a podcast somewhere. And it, I think we also assume everyone else is really busy, busy. which, which yeah. they are. But it's also, I think people have more free time and want to do things but everyone just thinks everyone else is busy so they're just going to be like imposing we can't, can't sit down and eat a meal at all together isn't it um but yeah going to people's homes for meals and inviting people for dinner and i feel like it's a bit of a forgotten custom and i don't think like i said i don't think it's because people aren't kind it's the whole uh, projected thing of we're all be so busy and you know all of this and i, I also think there's like an inherited thing of like in the generation like our parents generation if you went to someone's house it was for a banquet it wasn't for like a oh I've just scrapped this together it was like something that was planned there's really high expectations and Mm -hmm. I think some of us is unlearning that high expectation of like it doesn't it can just be like a slapdash pasta that you put together listen I've given my mate leftovers and they were nice they weren't like you know they were nice leftovers I'm like babes I've got a bit of chicken in this leftover do you want to stay for dinner Mm -hmm. and that was what my point was going on to actually like 
So sometimes I think when we want to host or we invite people, it has to always be grandeur mm -hmm. and has to be these big gestures. Like actually, if you're, you know, you can share from your pot. I think it's a wonderful way for children to become quite accepting of going into other people's homes, other people's cuisines, like, and different expectations. Like I think sometimes we over curate our own lives and, uh, and specifically for children, like, I think it's a really good way to break fussy eaters like because you serve them what you want at your home in their way on their red plate with their pink cup and it's like actually if you go to someone's house and you obviously you teach them the etiquettes of accepting food and you don't straight away say I don't like it I don't want that one thing I always encourage my kids to do is try it at least try it you might like it mm -hmm. and I think it really opens up their minds into just accepting I think there's, there's more around here but being acceptant of what people offer you and being open-minded of what people offer you. Like we've discovered like lots of new foods and fruits and cuisine because we've gone to other people's homes mm. or we're like, Oh, they eat what we eat as well. They eat like fried, fried omelet and, and white rice on like low key days. And what's wrong with me inviting my mate around for like a fried omelet and some rice? Like, why does it have to be like a lamb tagine with like butternut squash and all of these amazing I things? I remember Shilu was coming to my house once, like impromptu on, on a Friday after we did Taekwondo. Mm -hmm. And my plan that evening was to have tinned sardines, rice and dal. And obviously, <laughs> like norm normally if she comes, like I'll cook something or we'll get takeaway. But I was trying to be healthy and I was trying <laughs> to also not eat out. And then I was like, right, tin sardines and dal and rice it is. And, mm -hmm. and I did, I think I did like some breaded, breaded prawns for like kids, which they like boxed off. Mm -hmm. But it, it was a nice, like the, it's a nice meal. It's salty. It's nice. It's, you know, it's, it's a nice home meal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that, like, and this stems from like, when the kids are playing out back, I'm just sitting with um, my friend and she's cooking in her kitchen and she's not cooking for me she's just cooking for her family so literally like one day she'll just give me a plate of like fried yam with pepper and, and shito and it's not like I'm not saying it's not grand but it feels more personal like she's able to we're just sharing our home food with one another like I whipped up some fish the other day and I, I shared it with her and usually I wouldn't share that dish with anyone because it's kind of like a low-key home dish that you whip up, it's like tin mackerel. And I was like, oh, this isn't, I didn't feel like it was shareable. I was like, you know what? I'm going to go over and share it. And I gave her, she said, it was really nice. She said it was missing a bit of pepper, but <laughs> it was really nice. Um, and I think we have to lower our own expectations of what hosting is. And it just, I think it also brings a closeness in terms of like who you are. If you're just going around someone's home all the time and they're just serving you the best of the best, which we should, but it's relative, there's something comforting about like coming into someone's home like oh I've made this do you want some you know it's like we we're eating from the same pot um yeah and I'm gonna encourage uh, I'm gonna just read something from the prophet Muhammad peace be upon him but he said give food to the hungry pay a visit to the sick a sick and release set free the one in captivity by paying his ransom um another is encouraging guests to eat so once in a while I was in a state of fate fatigue because of severe hunger, I met Umar bin Khattab. So I asked him to recite a verse from Allah's book. He entered his house and interpreted it to me. Then I went out and after walking for a short distance, I fell on my face because of fatigue and severe hunger. Suddenly I saw Allah's apostle standing by my head. He said, oh, Abu Huraira, I replied, Labaik, oh, Allah's messenger, and sedate. 
then my Arabic and English pronunciation maths are take. Um, then he held me by my hand and made me get up. And then he came to know what I was suffering from. He took me to his house and ordered a big bowl of milk for me. I drank it there off and said, drink more Abu Herrera. So I drank again, where then he said, drink more. So I drank more till my belly became full and looked like a bowl. Afterwards, I met Omar and mentioned it, uh, mentioned what had happened to me. And he said, somebody who had more right than you, oh, Omar took over the case. But Allah, I asked you to recite a verse to me while I knew better than you. Oh, Omar said to, to me, by Allah, if I admitted and entertained you, you would have been dearer to me than having a ni nice red camels. And I think that says, it's almost, it says something about like simplicity. Like he just offered him a bowl of milk. A bowl of milk was a big gesture and a gift. And that was actually, the source was from a site called sunnah.com where you can find loads of things like that. Okay, underrated for this week is pivoting. Um, and this is off the back of a video I watched of James Clear on a podcast. James Clear is the author of Atomic Habits, and we've spoken about him previously. Um, and I think that was in reference to routines being overrated or something like that, or habits, and habits definitely aren't underrated. But yeah, so, uh, so I listen to his stuff quite a lot, and um, he's always got really interesting perspectives on um, essentially pivoting and incorporating habits and changing your lifestyle is all part of this like idea of uh, vision versus strategy. And um, I just wanted to like touch on the whole idea of pivoting at any age. And, and he recommends doing this thing called like revisiting um, your life wants and who you want to be. Um, and you just do that in a simple exercise like writing it down every single day but it's the routine of like revisiting it revisiting it because um, I was speaking to a friend about this and and they referred to it as setting and forgetting which is like you commit to like the idea of who you want to be or something that you want to do with your life um, at some kind of age and then you'll pursue it at any cost even though it might not like it might not align align with who you are and how much you've grown and um, I think we can all kind of, we all at certain points, whether it's like right down to trivial things, and this isn't trivial, but your diet. So I, I guess like when I was thinking about my underrated this week, I'm obviously like reflecting on um, where I am in my life. And I've just turned 27 as well. And, you know, the, in our society where we are, like age is a, a huge way of marking your achievements, your accomplishments, your status in society, um, your external tangible like uh, achievements and things like that. Um, and I just ask myself like how willing I am to commit to any idea that I've had previously of my youth about who I wanted to be or where I wanted to go. And I was just thinking how underrated it is to be able to um, switch up and pivot and detach yourself from these ideas um, and have this and, and like stay fast to this idea of vision versus strategy because in, with that way, you're always being true to yourself and belonging. When you said pivoting, I was like, oh, where's this going? But then it, because I think about pivoting in terms of business. Yeah, like, but, then like, but you, you might have that same thing of like, at most um, points during your business trajectory, you're constantly having to, like pivoting is part of the process. Like you're constantly yeah. having align with what roadblocks are in your way or uh, what yeah. opportunities have just made themselves available right but you your vision and your core beliefs always stay 
Yeah, I think the key is really letting go of people's expectations if you do make those changes. And mm. maybe it's been that you've, you know, for the last, you know, year or two years or three years of your life, you've gone around to friends and family and been like, this is what I'm going to do and this is what I'm going to be. And then you might have come to a, or, and they, they know you've been actively pursuing, you know, something and then you get to a point where you're like, actually, I don't think that really aligns with yeah. what I want to do and what I want to be. And I'm okay that I've told that story that that's what I want to do. That story's just changed. Mm. And you also don't have to over-explain to anyone why that story's changed or, or why you sort of headed. It's, it's your life, you know? Yeah. I don't think, like, you have to necessarily give a life update to everybody. <laughs> and I think sometimes people will seek it, like, you know, whether they're relative, friend, family, whatever it will be. But it's funny that you said that, Sarah, because... One of my overrated, no, one of my, obviously I never do overrated, underrated, I just do something and then I, you know, wobble <laughs> through, but I didn't end up doing it, but it related to something that you said, and I'm just going to share it, and it was about purpose and how actually you, because if you are in a pivot and a time where you're considering things or you're looking at what direction you want to take your life, actually one really valuable thing to do is to revisit things that you enjoyed when you were younger. Um, which I find really interesting because obviously having kids at the moment where I'm observing what they're interested in now, which might, and then you nurture those habits, hobbies, whatever they are, because you think, oh, actually this might be something that they'll take into, you know. Thanks for everybody who's listened to this episode. Be sure to go on to uh, Acast, at Acast for the stories on Instagram and check out all of our previous two cents episodes and all of our other series. Um, you can find us on Instagram at Amalia underscore com and on Twitter at Amalia underscore tweets. Like, share, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next one. Assalamu alaikum, everybody. All uh, right, then. See you, see you, see, see you. See you later. <laughs>